Hey there, thanks for joining us. This message was recorded just before Christmas 2020. It's been a funny old year, that's for sure. And as usual, the pre-Christmas period has been a busy time for most folks. However, in the midst of all the craziness, it's good to stop for a while and to reflect on some of the timeless truths that make Christmas truly special. The first word I just want to touch on is this word that you hear around Christmas, which is incarnation. The sense that it's in Christ that we see the face of God. It's in Christ that God has come to us and shown us what He's like and who He is. And uh, so the birth of Jesus is something completely unique in the history of mankind. And it's something that's sacred and something that's powerful. Uh, the backstory: Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary. Mary was just young. I don't know how old Joseph was, but they were engaged to be married. And Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. And he knew that he wasn't the dad. And he thought, well, this, clearly this marriage can't go ahead. This can't happen. This is just all feels wrong. But he was an honorable guy. So he didn't want to make a big fuss. He didn't want to see her publicly stoned, which could have happened in those days. He just wanted to put her away quietly, as it says in the scripture. And he had a dream. And you know, some dreams are just crazy dreams, right? Uh, but he had a dream that deeply impacted him, where he felt like God really spoke to him in a dream. And it's found in Matthew 1, 18 to 23. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this dream, he didn't think it was just a crazy dream or an anxiety dream or an imaginary dream. He knew that somehow he had met with the angel of the Lord in his sleep. And that changed his behavior, it changed his actions, it changed the course of his life and everything that he was planning on doing. And he knew from that dream that this child was conceived somehow by the Holy Spirit. That had never happened before. He had no frame of reference to try to figure that out. And that's hard enough for us to even think about when we do have a frame of reference. But he just knew that the angel had said, this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is the child of God. And this child was destined for something great, and that was to save people from their sins and to save the nation from their sins. And the third thing that he knew from that dream was that this baby was going to be the fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah said, that there was a child who was going to be born who was going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus became God with us for their generation and God with us for ours. That somehow in Christ we can see God. In fact, Jesus said this thing when he'd grown up, when he'd got out of babyhood and childhood and teenagehood, uh, and he was about 30 years old and he came into his ministry. He was speaking to his disciples because they were people who wanted to know God. They wanted to experience God. They wanted to connect with God somehow. And they wanted to know what God was like. And when you think about that, what's God like? And you just imagine you start constructing something in your mind about what you think God might be like. That might be something good. It might be something bad. 
It might be something true. It might not be. And they were wondering. They wanted to know more about what God was like. And Jesus said this. He said, if you've seen me, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, then you've seen your Father. What, what you see in me is exactly what the Father is like. The things I love, the things I don't, the things I do, the things I don't. Everything you see in me, you've seen the Father in fullness. Uh, later on, the Apostle Paul, leader in the early church, said this in Colossians 1. He said, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The thing that is invisible, the thing that we just have to kind of imagine in our mind's eye, what is God like? Now we can see, we can see in the face of Christ exactly what God is like. Or John, one of his disciples said this in 1 John 1, and you can almost hear, even in reading the words off a page, for me, I can almost sense the sense of awe in his voice when he wrote this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. John knew that they'd been brought into this amazing story, this miracle of Christmas where they had seen God walking amongst us in Christ. If you want to know what God is like, then what you do is you look at Jesus. You read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through those four Gospels, and you will get an accurate representation of what God is like. And, and all the other ideas that we might have constructed, whether it's from our own uh, upbringings, or whether it's from our religious past, or whether it's from our other readings, everything that we've constructed in our mind can just fall to the ground and be replaced by Christ. Because if you've seen Him, then you've seen the Father. And so when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and you see Jesus healing people and setting people free, then we know something about God. We know something about the Father. We know that He's committed to healing that which is broken. And His intention is not to hurt us, but His intention is always to heal us. We understand that from what Christ has done. When we see Jesus offering forgiveness to people, sometimes people who hadn't even asked, there was this paralytic guy, his friends let him down through the roof, and he ended up at Jesus' feet. But the first thing that Jesus said to him was, you know, my son, your sins are forgiven. Because he recognized there was something bigger going on for this guy than the fact that he was a paralytic, the fact that he couldn't walk. And that's a big deal. If you can't walk, that's a big deal. But there was something bigger going on for this guy that Jesus could see. And he realized that somehow he was burdened down with a sense of sin and the sense of guilt, maybe thinking that God was against him, that God was just mad with him. I don't know what he was thinking. It doesn't tell us. But Jesus could just see there was a, something big deal that was going on here. And the first thing was he just offered him forgiveness, even though it wasn't even asked for in that situation. So when we read that, we know something about God, that he's one who's willing to forgive. He's willing to cleanse. He's willing to give us a new start. No matter what our past has been, he's willing to give us a new beginning. And that's all, You know, this stuff is like, I don't know about for you, but this stuff for me is like gold. And when we see Jesus mixing with outcasts and taxmen, 
And everyone's criticizing him like, what are you as a holy guy doing mixing with these outcasts and these sinners? You shouldn't, you should be separate. You should be sitting in a little holy bubble just with a little halo on your head and just looking holy, keeping away from sinners and people who are having parties and doing wrong. And he says, no, I'm not like that. He said, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who comes down off the mountain, mixes with people. And I'm like a doctor, like I'm a physician that I want to just make people well and make people whole. So I, I want to be with these guys. I want to be with these outcasts. And this tells us something about God, that his arms are open to us all, no matter where we may have been, no matter what we've done. His arms are open to us and he receives us. And we know that the word spoken in Psalm 113 is true. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap and he makes them to sit with princes. We also see in Jesus some things that God doesn't like. Because God doesn't like just everything. There are things that God doesn't like. Jesus didn't like hypocrisy. He didn't like it when we pretend to be one thing, but really we're something else underneath. He didn't like that. And he called out hypocrisy wherever he found it. He didn't like injustice because he cared for the downtrodden. He cared for the poor. He cared for the dis disadvantaged. And he called it out when people were doing their whole religious thing, but had no care for their fellow man. He called it out because he didn't like injustice. And he wasn't impressed when people were ungrateful or unforgiving, when they had received so much themselves. And there are those things he doesn't like. But I don't think it's a kind of this balance between, well, you know, Jesus has kind of loves some things and he hates some things, as, as if there's this kind of balance of light and dark inside of Christ. That's not, that's not right, because God is love. God is never hate. God is always love. And the things he hates are because he loves. The things God hates is because he loves and he loves people and he wants the best for us. The second word that I want to touch on just briefly this morning is inclusion. And back in Jesus' day, there were all sorts of people who just got caught up in his story. They were caught up inside of this most amazing, miraculous, mysterious, wonderful, powerful story when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she visited her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth said, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's kind of like, how did I get to be part of this story? Why am I so favored that just Mary had turned up to visit her and she knew that within Mary's womb was the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the mother of my Lord, she called Mary. So why am I so favored? And she was caught up in the story and she was blessed. And as we've seen this morning, there were shepherds who were caught up in the story. At Jesus' birth, there were wise men. There were fishermen that Jesus called. There were tax collectors. There were drunks. There were prostitutes. There were Samaritans. There were all sorts of people from every kind of walk of life who got caught up in the story as Jesus went around and started calling disciples to follow him. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And here's the thing about inclusion, that Jesus is still calling people to follow him. His arms are open wide to everybody, no matter what our background, no matter what our walk of life, teachers and farmers and nurses and care workers and mums and dads and kids and the young and the old and the rich and the poor, the advantaged and the disadvantaged, the people from every race and tribe and tongue and nation, people from everywhere. 
we are called to follow. And he invites us into this, this amazing story that we're celebrating today about Christmas. This amazing story that we read about in the book of Acts in the early church. This amazing story. We are invited into that story. And when we are called, we just simply need to say yes. We just say yes. There were, I think that was in the woman's song, wasn't it? I just noticed that this morning. They were saying yes was the answer. When Christ calls us, the answer is yes. So when Christ calls you wherever he finds you, the answer is yes. That's the answer. The answer is yes. And when we say yes, we're included. We become part of his family. Actually, he said he's not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. You, you, become, you become family. And we are filled with the same spirit who filled Jesus, the one who led Jesus, the one who empowered Jesus, and the one who raised Jesus from the dead will fill our lives as well. That's how included we are. And we get a new citizenship. When I was in my, I was around about 30, I wanted to do a missions trip. Now, I was born in England, as those of you who are around here will know. I was born in England and lived there till I was nine, then moved to New Zealand with my family. So I was still a British citizen and I was not a New Zealand citizen. I wanted to do a missions trip to India. And I think I'd just turned 30 and it was my first missions trip and I was pretty excited about going. But then I realized that if I went to India, that actually I probably wouldn't be allowed back into New Zealand because I wasn't a New Zealand citizen. I didn't have a New Zealand passport. I would just, I would just live out my days sitting on a hill in India. I don't know what, what, what I'd have done. But I realized I needed to get new citizenship. So I, I applied and was granted New Zealand citizenship and I got a New Zealand passport. This is home for me. I've got a New Zealand passport. And, and, and all of you, you know, are able to get a passport from somewhere, whether it's English or, or, or New Zealand or Filipino passport or wherever you happen to be from. You get a passport and citizenship, which enables you to always be able to go home. You're always welcome to go home. That's how it should work anyway. I guess there are times when it doesn't. But that's what a passport gives you, the right to always go home. And Paul says, when you say yes to Christ, when you become a disciple, you get new citizenship papers. You have got at least two passports. You've got a New Zealand passport. You might still have a British passport. You might have a Filipino passport, but you've got another one as well. Because Paul says that when we say yes to Christ, we become citizens of heaven. It becomes our natural home. And that's just how welcome you are, because you're part of the family now. And to me, incarnation and inclusion are two miracles of Christmas that I am very blessed about, that God is so generous and kind and open so that he calls ordinary people like you and like me, includes us in his story, includes us in his family and gives us a reason to get up in the morning and breathe and make a difference in our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the Christmas story. And we thank you that in Christ we can see, God, what you are like in human form. And that is important to us. We don't, we're not left in any doubt any longer about what you're like because we can see what you're like in the face of Christ. And we thank you for that revelation. We thank you for that. We know that it cost you something. We know that it cost you something to do that. And we thank you that you came, Jesus, and you took the form of a servant and you walked amongst us so we could see what the Father is like. But we know you didn't just stop there. After you'd grown and 
preached and ministered and done everything else, then you willingly went to the cross and died for us. And we thank you for that because somehow inside of your death, we find new life. But we thank you that you didn't stay dead. Three days later, you rose from the dead to all. And now that you have resurrection life in yourself and you offer resurrection life to all who follow you. Lord, we're so blessed for your kindness and your generosity. And today we want to say thank you. And we thank you that you call us all, no matter what we may have been like or maybe what we are like, but you call us all. And today we just simply want to say yes to you. When we hear you call, then we just want to say yes. We want to get up and we want to follow. We want to be included. We want to be part of your family. We want to be part of all that you're doing on the earth. And we want your purpose to be alive inside of us as we live out the rest of our lives. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. When you call God, we say, when you call, we say, when you call, we say, in Jesus' name, amen.